A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello. And welcome to the Ghibli Attack, the podcast that takes a three-dimensional look at the films from the world's greatest animation studio, Studio Ghibli. I'm Michael Leader, and I've seen the lot of them. And I'm Jake Cunningham, and I'm a fully rendered fan. So join us on our quest into the glorious world of Ghibli. Hello, Jake. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Michael. I uh, I know that we've both been like everyone else, kind of locked away in our flats, not really doing much. But I do have to ask, as is tradition, how have you been? I've been well, thank you. I've been working on quite a few projects, bubbling away, but uh, some fun things we can always escape if we need to into the world of movies, even if the landscape outside of our window doesn't change that often. How have you been? Yeah, I've been okay. Uh, as you say, it's much and much of the same. But my partner and I did get a pet a few months ago. Um, I'm, I apologise now to the Ghibli fans. It is not a cat. It is a dog, uh, some, something that doesn't get much action in the Ghibli worlds. Um, but it, it's nice to go on little suburban adventures that are guided by Peggy, our pup, and uh, think about how we could be stumbling upon a magical world or a uh, fantastical antique shop just around any corner. Haven't found one just yet, but maybe we will. You didn't think about calling your dog Heen? No, no Heen. Although Heen is is a good dog, it has to be said. Um, maybe that's one of the things that maybe will turn me around on Howl's Moving Castle on the next watch. More of an affinity with Heen. <laughs> Well, we have a little pet in our house, but he's two years old and he's called Ivo. And I don't think my partner would appreciate me calling him a pet. Uh, there's no, so no news there. But one thing we have been doing that's been really fun over the last few days is uh, my partner decided to spend some of her free time wisely and mainline all of the Marvel Cinematic Universe films, um, at least the ones she hadn't seen. She's seen the odd Iron Man, Ant-Man, Spider-Man film, but none of the big guns. So while I've been in the other room working and wondering, in for a coffee uh, it's been fun to catch up with bite-sized moments from that whole saga and it's absolutely wild to think that it's actually not even two years ago that Avengers Endgame was in cinemas and was able to make 2.8 billion dollars out of people going to a cinema to watch a film which is something that doesn't seem to be happening at all much at the moment no um well maybe we should step into our own cinematic universe the the gcu (laughs) 
um, <laughs> because I believe after a fallow period, there is a there is a new event that people must be getting to. Absolutely. This is the first time since we started this podcast where we can actually talk about a brand new Studio Ghibli film, Earwig and the Witch, the latest work from Goro Miyazaki. We've gone back to basics with this. It's just me and you talking Ghibli. I've seen a lot of them. You've now seen a lot of them. So we have brought all of our collective baggage to a brand new Ghibli film. Jake, before we dive into this, What's it like being able to watch a new one of these? It is so, so strange. Um, to me, they are oddly, they feel like artifacts to me um, because I've always existed in a timeline that hasn't aligned with theirs. And it's always been a, a catch up or a retrospective. And suddenly our, our tracks run parallel. And it, I mean, it's, it's exciting. It really is. Um, but I mean, it's, as we'll get into, it's a brave new direction that they're going in. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, it's a brave new world for us as well. <laughs> we should say, because it's a brand new release and Ghibli films tend to get these staggered releases around the world, we're recording this episode now in time with the American release. It's in cinemas, but also uh, going on HBO Max. It's also been on Japanese TV already, but we know that it's coming out in the UK in the spring. But we thought that we'll drop our immediate thoughts and reactions now. But we do have some more fun stuff to come in in conjunction with the UK release. Before we get into the origins of this film, though, Michael, and before we get into our thoughts on it, you must tell us what is Earwig and the Witch about? Here is a brief synopsis. Growing up in an orphanage in the British countryside, Earwig has no idea that her mother had magical powers. Her life changes dramatically when a strange couple takes her in, and she is forced to live with a selfish witch. As the headstrong young girl sets out to uncover the secrets of her new guardians, she discovers a world of spells and potions, and a mysterious song that may be the key to finding the family she has always wanted. Michael, I'm not going to say that Ghibli uh, aren't being original, um, but that synopsis certainly sounds like something that feels like familiar territory. Um, what's what's the origins of this? Well, we don't have as much history behind this film because it's like brand new, but let's have a bit of the context behind it. So the most recent Ghibli film we talked about in here would have been The Red Turtle, maybe, when we talked about the history behind that and how Toshio Suzuki and Isao Takahata worked with Michael Dudok DeWitt on that film, while there was this sort of fallow period at the studio that we know that Hayao Miyazaki has been working on How Do You Live at a snail's pace for the last few years and for maybe more years to come. But then suddenly, halfway through last year, they announced Earwig and the Witch was coming. We knew that Goro was working on something. We'd heard rumours 
But then we heard that this was going to be his next film, Earwig and the Witch. But what is Earwig and the Witch? Earwig and the Witch is based on a book by Dinah Wynne-Jones, a name that's familiar to us because she wrote Howl's Moving Castle, as well as all sorts of great books um, in the sort of English language fantasy canon. This was a posthumous book that was released just after her death in 2011. And apparently, Hayao Miyazaki himself found the book in a bookshop and picked it up and thought, this this looks like a pretty good project for us. He went away and read it and brought it to the studio and said, this could be an interesting project. And the project fell to Goro Miyazaki and Toshio Suzuki was very impressed with his work on Ronya, the robber's daughter, the animated 3D animated series that he made a few years back. So he thought this could be an opportunity to do an in-house 3D CG animated feature with Goro at the helm. It's very interesting to look at the credits for this because it's a lot of names that we don't recognize Goro apparently put together a very young team that are quite CG focused, not, not, not that many old hands. Once you dig into some of the animation credits, rendering credits, but there are a couple of Ghibli familiars up top. We do have Katsuya Kondo on character designs. He's a guy that's been knocking around the studio for decades at this point. We do have our old friend Keiko Niwa, um, who was had had a hand in the screenplay, as she has with the majority of the new films from Ghibli in the last 15 years, and all of um all of Goro's feature work as well. So there's a this interesting mix of brand new staff, but a couple of old hands returning, trying their hand at this new 3D direction for Ghibli. Now, last year, of course, 2020 was a was a year where all cinema distribution, extra exhibition, festivals was thrown up in the air. This film was supposed to have premiered in the official selection at the Cannes Film Festival, which would have been historic for Ghibli. I think, uh, of course, The Red Turtle premiered um, in the Uncertain Regard official selection. And The Tale of the Princess Kaguya had a showing at the director's fortnight sidebar, a very respected sidebar, but not part of the official selection in Cannes. So this would have got the proper big Cannes premiere with all of the red carpets at the steps and everybody in their suits if Cannes had happened. But of course, Cannes was delayed or and then postponed completely. So this film enters this sort of limbo state where no one sees it for many months. And it's announced that instead of getting a cinema distribution, it goes to telly. In Japan, it has a screening in December, almost as a sort of Christmas New Year special, which was, I'm sure, a treat for everyone in Japan. And then G-Kids in the States picked it up for US release. And a new outfit over here, Elysian Film Group, picked it up for distribution in, that's coming forthcoming in the spring. Elysian are interesting because they're, they're set up by people who used to work for Studio Canal back in the day. So even though this is the first Ghibli film since Princess Mononoke in the late 90s to get distribution by someone other than Studio Canal. They've been very firm supporters in terms of Ghibli in the UK. It's still got that DNA of someone who would have worked with Ghibli back in the day too. And that sort of brings us up to date, really, in terms of like, there's this new Ghibli film that's coming out in dribs and drabs around the world. People are seeing bits from the Japanese screening. We're going to get trailers and clips. We get announcements that we kind of take for granted in other episodes about the dub cast, Richard E. Grant, Casey Musgraves, Dan Stevens, you know, pretty big names. You know, it's been a while since we've had to contend with that with, with a Ghibli film. So the hype train is rolling on. And Jake, you and I have first class tickets on the hype train for Ghibli. <laughs> By now, we are so invested in the story. So, of course, we couldn't wait to see this film. 
but I really want to know what you made of it. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. So Jake, when we did the old school episodes of Ghibliotech, I think I'd start almost every review section with Jake you think you know Ghibli by now, but what surprised you about this film? And I'm going to ask that question again because I think we have a few things that might have surprised you about this film. Yes, I think is this maybe the first time where if that logo didn't appear at the start and we started watching the film, you might not be able to recognise that it's a Studio Ghibli film. Because hmm. this is heading out in considerable new directions. There are absolutely elements that we will get into that can show that Ghibli DNA. But as soon as that first kind of 3D face pops on screen, this is different. It looks totally different. The design of the characters, the way that their faces move, the 3D look of it is just so bewilderingly strange compared to what we're used to but when you adjust to it you can see through how it approaches food and how it approaches magic and how it approaches cats uh all of that ghibli stuff that we know and love in there 
Michael, how was it for you as soon as you get into the first few seconds of this, having to kind of readjust to what a Ghibli film is, I suppose? So let me drop my big take early. I think this is the most experimental Ghibli film. We've talked before about how Isao Takahata, every time out, tried to, you know, innovated in animation, broke the mold of what we thought of as a Ghibli film. This completely breaks that mold. It doesn't look like a Ghibli film. It doesn't sound like a Ghibli film. It doesn't taste <laughs> like a Ghibli film. We'll come to that. But yeah, let's talk about that look. It's not doesn't look like Ronnie the Robber's Daughter. That was a CG animated series but it had a sort of cell shaded look so it it looked almost like a halfway between 3d cg and 2d animation this one is fully 3d very highly detailed in ways but her taking very specific stylistic choices in terms of what the characters look like and how they're formed um, what really opened my eyes to the approach to this is hearing Goro Miyazaki talk about his design inspirations behind it. He was very inspired by stop-motion puppet animation, particularly what Leica Studios and Aardman Animation do in their films. So the design of the characters isn't as fully detailed or as expressive as something like Pixar, but instead it's like they are carved out of a material. So the hair is this very sort of, like it's almost like it's carved out of wax, like a stop motion animated puppet. And I'd recommend if anyone hasn't to look up the Ghibli Museum promo videos of the special puppet shows they've got adapt, adapting stories from Earwig that are going to be performed at the Ghibli Museum now, it re, now it's reopened because they've created these amazing puppets of the characters here. But yes, I, I know what you mean, Jake. It's, ve it's very interesting how the backgrounds and the world that we look at is so fully fleshed out and detailed. But there's this interesting mix of maybe limited animation in terms of the characters. Yeah. They're not as fully expressive as you'd expect from a Ghibli film. And maybe that is because Goro is choosing his battles whilst also bringing in the style, stylistic and inspiration from stop motion. Yeah, you see, for instance, an amazing shot of a cruise ship or transporter ship on the horizon resting on the sea, and that feels like something that could come from Poppy Hill quite easily. Mm. And the same goes for some of the skies and some of the trees and the fields. And then in the other direction these faces that could remain quite blank but then will transform very quickly into i'm sure there's a better way of putting it but more of an anime face like where mm -hmm. a scream will take up the entire face and the eyes and nose tilt back and it's far more cartoonish and we i suppose are used to a bit more nuance in our facial expressions that we find in these films like for instance in tale of princess kaguya where you've got kind of little movements of an eyebrow that can translate emotion and here it's far more heightened and i wonder whether that is just getting into the world of these 3d models which are themselves these these shapes that are super cartoonish like all of the different body shapes and character types in this are quite outlandish and the emotions are there to match Mm -hmm. it's it's sort of what you say that we expect 
nuance or detail in the 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 two D animated Ghibli films. There are certain shots of expressions in this that remind me of Pompoko in the way that suddenly a character that has one more realistic, consistent body will turn into a completely different style of animation for one second. And that's maybe what's going on here. They're clearly interested in these very specific moments where expressions change. And we should, this is all coming out of the characters. And that's what another thing here that's very experimental and radical. The character of Earwig herself, I feel, is a character that Ghibli has never attempted to put on screen before. We know that the female protagonist is something that Ghibli has uh, you know, excelled at, given us a diverse range of really brilliant characters from Chihiro to Kiki to Kaguya herself. But then Iwig is a real brat, right? Unlikable brat. We're not supposed to really like her. She's meant to be obstinate and stubborn and only wants to, you know, she wants to get what she wants and she will raise hell in order to get it. Unlike the sort of Hayao Miyazaki approach to girls, which is that there's some sort of anxiety or you know, their self-consciousness and they've got to, they're going to work through that to find themselves through hard work or inspiration or going on a great journey. Earwig is who she is and she knows who she is. So when she goes to this foster family, it's almost a very Roald Dahl setup for me where uh, this this orphan child who's le- left at this children's home as a baby is taken in by these creepy, sinister foster parents, and she has to wage war with them in order to live under the same roof as them. Yeah, it it, it echoes, I suppose, the BFG in that kind of way. Um, but she is she's quite precocious. She's got a quite a dry and dark sense of humor as well which we haven't really seen before um, reminds me a bit of Lyra from his dark materials in mm-hmm. that way. Um, but it also does mean that she doesn't really have much of a character arc for me mm-hmm. across this because she is almost at that kind of peak of self-confidence and self-assurance at the beginning of the film. Um, her journey is more about, ingratiating herself and her personality in the world of others rather than adjusting it mm-hmm. it's it's interesting isn't it so the other characters we should say are the bella yaga and the mandrake the the, the two foster parents um, i quite like the mandrake almost looks like john cooper clark i wonder if that's <laughs> a, a reference at all but we have been saying all the way through like we've already dropped these references you know BFG, Roald Dahl, Dana Wynne-Jones, one of Wales's great literary exports. Um, I think this is the most specifically British Ghibli film. Oh, yeah, far and away. Because we, we, when we've referenced the kind of pan-European feel of a lot of these fantasies, is that more of a hodgepodge? And the, although we can say that Howells is set in Wales, um, it's not like we're walking past the Millennium Stadium. Uh, we... But with this, we could very much imagine that. Uh, this feels like it's maybe Britain from, I would say, like early 2000s. Um, but that's just me kind of thinking of 
the logo for Spy Sports, the sports channel that has a banner across the local pub in the film. And the the font has more of a late 90s, early 2000s feel to it. You're an expert of Sky's branding (laughs) (laughs) history. But this is, we've said before, Hi Miyazaki for Castle in the Sky wants to have some sort of industrial tone. So he goes to visit Wales and happens to be there at the time of the mining strike or the end of the miners' strikes in the eighties. And is very inspired by the landscape and the people and the communities, but then he remixes it to his own perspective. Same with you know, Kiki's delivery service and this sort of Northern European vibe of Coraco the town. Whereas this is, you know, it's almost like they went and took reference photos of like a little town in, you know, I, I think it's like in the middle of the Lake District or something. Mm. You have very early in the film a bit where Earwig has been picked up by this these two foster parents, and they walk from the children's home to their to the new home and go down a high street, which is a very recognisable British high street from the post box to the telephone box to the corner shop, and that's not. That's not where the references to British culture end, right? Because we also have lots of British food. Yes, and this this is an odd one because for you and I, Michael, these these are kind of dishes that might echo what we see in the comfort of the Japanese dishes of the other films. So <laughs> were I to come home and smell and see a shepherd's pie being made that can have a similar feeling to that unveiling of ponyo's ramen um that is an ultimate comfort dish and comfort and food is so often something that we see in ghibli films but beyond that shepherd's pie there's a pasty served with (laughs) chips and peas which actually i've never done but i'm sure i would enjoy and a, a fish and chips which is so incredibly rendered it actually looks amazing in a totally different way to how we say that ghibli food in other films looks amazing like where it might where it is it is flat and it is 2d but we can we get the feeling of it here it looks just like a delicious plate of fish and chips <laughs> it's so odd um and then there's a reference to fried bread uh, from Epping Forest, which was extremely jarring for me because that's where I live. <laughs> and I want to know where the man is getting this delicious fried bread because I want to know if I can get it on delivery. <laughs> well, he has his own sort of version of delivery, doesn't he? He has these little sort of magical familiars who whip up and go and get him whenever he wants. It's so interesting to see. We've seen all these films and we talk about Ghibli food looking better than any food ever looks. And there's maybe an element of exoticism in there that we associate with cuisines from around the world. But to then see that eye trained on pasties, fish and chips, shepherd's pie, there's there's something about that. I don't know if there's there's an inherent sort of self-effacing British humour, which makes me sort of recoil at it. Maybe I should accept... I don't think... think, (laughs) Accept the compliment. I think it's like, it feels like it's it's fun for us because we may maybe grown up on those dishes. Um, But I can't imagine the international audience is looking at that steaming pot of mints and peas and thinking, hmm, I must get into more British cuisine. (laughs) 
Um, but talk, talking of like other British exports in this, a real odd pick was in the lineup of kids that are at the orphanage at the very start. One of the uh, kids is called Christian Froome, who wants to grow up and become a cyclist. And Chris Froome is the name of a British cyclist who won the Tour de France in the last few years. And I, I just would love to know at what point that was dropped in there. Is that in the translation of the script? Was there another cyclist in Japan that had that role? Or has Chris Froome been baked into this screenplay the whole time? It would be interesting. So we should say we've only seen the dubbed version of the film, the English language version. Um, However, so many of those references are in the background Mm. with English language texts, as you say, spy sports. But also very early on, we see a drawing above Earwig's bed of a sort of glam rock looking guy with the word Starman over the top of him. And that's David Bowie. And that's a route into almost the, the music texture of the film we should say the the great addition in the adaptation of the film is this subplot that that there is a band in the background of the history of the here that that might be the link between earwig's past and her present with the mandrake and bella yaga and there's a song she finds a record she finds that she's given a cassette she's left with a cassette when she's left on the children's home doorstep I think all of that is an addition of the adaptation. The book is very much just a girl, sinister foster parents, magic. She wants to get one up on them. But the the book is posthumous and reviewers have speculated that um, uh, it wasn't really finished and it wasn't really up to the standard of Diana Wynne Jones's sort of broad vision that she the world she creates in the past, more of an exercise while she was winding down in her final years. But that Bowie reference, Goro Miyazaki said, is because he f- found that um, Daniel and Jones loved David Bowie, so wanted to put a nod in there in the background. But it also unlocks it's the, the approach to the music. And he said that he wanted the music to have a 70s British album rock feel. So a, a cross between sort of prog and glam art rock of the time. And Satoshi Takabe, who's the composer that Goro has worked with before on Poppy Hill and, um, and, and Ronnie the Robber's Daughter, turns out is a bit of a closet rock fan, a big lover of the sort of electric organ sound of bands like Deep Purple and Emerson, Lake and Palmer. So Goro said, hey, mate, just run with it for this. And so you get very early on lots of like guitars, lots of swirling organ solos, which is, I remember very early on in this podcast, you were shocked whenever a moment of actual music, like Mm. contemporary music would pop up or Western music would pop up. And this is one where it's wall to wall, that vibe. Yeah, absolutely. I I don't actually think that's that surprising about the composer, because when you go back to from up on poppy hill which i recently rewatched, that is kind of secretly one of ghibli's best soundtracks that's amazing and that has got some uh rock and roll cuts in there but kind of maybe 20 years before the sound of this film um mm-hmm. this is that organ has got me thinking of procol harem and mm. it's uh it's a lot of fun but i i, I there is moments where you want it to really commit 
to the music plot and it maybe doesn't quite go there um there is a performance of the band and you think this is maybe the moment where ghibli could go full music like how would you let rip and do bring that energy from like on your mark where they are Mm. really totally in rhythm with the music and kind of letting the narrative drop to the sides and have fun with it um but the performance never really goes for that it is more like we're just kind of sitting in the front row bopping along um with a small group of fans instead that's a lot of the sort of more radical stuff maybe in this film but you did say that we do have some familiar aspects particularly the fact that this is a a a film about magic Mm. and wizards and witches more familiar ghibli ground i suppose absolutely and like for me this is where i found the film really not just align with what ghibli has done before but kind of push forward a bit and maybe even question how ghibli has approached the sense of this idea of magic in the previous films because i i loved the fact that in this film magic is a a learned craft that almost anyone can achieve which when you think of some of the lessons that we've thought about that magic can be just outside your door and uh it's a level playing field and you can anyone can do what they want and think of like whisper of the heart where creative writing is this thing where you just have to you have to work at it it's not this thing that happens in an instant and this feels like that approach to creative writing and the more objectivist approach to magic are colliding and we've got this thing where magic is this achievable thing for anyone providing they've got essentially a hob and a saucepan (laughs) and i think and then you're bringing in ghibli food into ghibli magic and ghibli work ethic and it's a it's a perfect venn diagram of so many life lessons that we've referenced on this show and so yeah i was really into how this got into magic it's it's gross though oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) unlike has have we ever seen maybe howl's bathroom Mm. is that is the grossest location we've seen to date but bella yaga's workshop garage uh, with all of the gruesome ingredients and old rotten moldy jars it doesn't make magic look like a fun thing perhaps well, michael let me bring in one of our favorite points of comparison and metaphors that we've revisited multiple times on this show that the craft is animation right and that this this messy room where the magic actually happens is not the thing that the public see that on the outside there is this homely beautiful british house but on the inside is actually more of a tardis like cauldron of sludge and that there are the workers on the inside navigating the sludge to bring you the magic on the outside that uh... We're into the realm of the big, big picture theories yeah. now, and we should, we should say that there is a young child in this film who desperately wants to connect with their father figure, who is locked in a room working away at their at their writing and mm. their their creative projects, and they say, "You can't go in here and see me and 
So yeah, and- Goro Miyazaki and Hayao Miyazaki. We've 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 talked about that relationship a lot. I'm sure we can draw all sorts of thematic threads from there. Oh yeah, particularly the the younger child being promised that they'll be told how to learn the magic and then maybe not actually being told. And then being shut out from what they were promised maybe by the the parental figure. <laughs> oh dear. I do I do wonder if we're just so out out on a limb here with all this. This doesn't occur to them at all <laughs> in the making of these films and we're having all these crazy uh, theories. Like, what is underneath the house? Mm. It's a parking garage that's almost like a tomb or like a, the, uh, you know, almost like these un- underground sewers almost. And what's there but the Citroen 2CV that Miyazaki Hayao himself has? <laughs> And the same car that is used in Lupin the Third, the Castle of Cagliostro. Oh, mm-hmm. he wants to bury it, Michael. Is that what you're saying? Ewig discovers it, right? She's when one of her first nights in this strange house with these sinister people who have all these creative secrets in their past and in their present. She goes exploring at night and goes through a door she's not supposed to go to and finds the car. And in the car is the secret to earwig the band it's where she finds the vinyl and the tape player yeah i think there's all sorts we could talk for a long time on that (laughs) with our fan fiction of the miyazaki family (laughs) yeah um well so there's as we said lots of um ghibli that we know in here and one that we haven't spoken about which is always key is the cat and Mm -hmm. there is a cat here uh, who is very reminiscent of Gigi from Kiki's Delivery Service, uh, except he's got green eyes and is called Thomas. And in the dub, he is voiced by Dan Stevens, who is a real highlight of this dub and is clearly having a wonderful time. He's secretly one of the the the, the, the better actors of his generation. I'm always happy to see him pop up. He's so great in, like, in The Guest, for example. Um, and... He's clearly having a lot of fun here as well. It's one of those where we're we're not sure how much he's ad-libbing and adding to a script himself, right? Yes, because there is some of the dialogue here that I, I just can't imagine was in that original one. Um, but he's, he's very kind of off the wall on this. He's got extremely high energy. It's the... Um, it's almost the opposite of Muta from Whisper of the Heart in terms of energy um, that he's bringing to it. And just so much fun. And I was, I loved all of the interactions between Earwig and Thomas um, mm-hmm. because it's kind of a reveal that Thomas can talk. And as soon as he enters the game, uh, it just kind of injects the film with a bit of energy that maybe was needed. Yeah, and 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 compare that with Richard E. Grant, who is giving a very sort of committed, creepy performance. You wouldn't even really recognise mm. that it's him, perhaps as as Mandrake. I, it's it's interesting. This is the first time in a long while, maybe since Howl's Moving Castle um, in Birmingham back in the day, where I've seen the dub first. So I'm very interested to see how this plays in Japanese, particularly because of how CG animation, you really focus on the mouth movements and the way they play with the expressions in the character animation. So even though I think the dub does have some highlights, as you say, with Dan Stevens, there's something there that I wonder, are we losing something? Particularly as well, 
this is one where the central song is so important. Mm. And if you're sort of maybe put off by Casey Musgraves' voice, great voice, love you know her, her work, maybe great. But then in this context, what was the vibe in the Japanese version? I'd love to know. Yeah. Um, well, that's an opportunity for us to do uh, even more Earwig and the Witch content on the podcast. Maybe uh, we can talk about that original version, rewatch it, and roll it into one of our future episodes, Michael. Who knows? We, we do we like talking about Ghibli films? I don't know. But Jake, before we wrap up this review section, do you have any final comments about Earwig and the Witch? I think everyone should be watching Earwig and the Witch because it is such a new direction. Like mm-hmm. this is totally different to anything that has come before it. And I've mentioned uh, a film like The Cat Returns before on the podcast, which kind of rubbed me the wrong way because I felt like there wasn't necessarily anything new happening in the film and with each Ghibli and even with Goro who might often kind of get treated as a scapegoat whatever he's doing he's doing something new that hasn't been done before by the studio and for that like I would absolutely support this venture and I'd be really curious like once the dust has settled on this what looks down the road for Ghibli Mm. in terms of CG. Absolutely. I'll say if you haven't seen a Ghibli film before and you're wanting to dive in, this wouldn't be the film you start with, of course. But if you're this far along our journey um, with the podcast, you are invested. You want to see what Goro's up to. You want to see what the future for the studio is. And as you say, Jake, it's trying so many things. It has that spirit of experimentation that Ghibli every now and then engages with. It's something that we've really enjoyed seeing as we've gone through the films. Does it succeed with everything it tries out? I mean, that's something we can talk about. I'd love to hear what listeners think of this when they get a chance to see it. And so far, it's at that stage where okay a lot of the japanese viewers have seen it but in the sort of western world very few critics have seen it not much reviews not much chat on letterboxd or twitter it's going to be a really fun one to see people dive into but it's um it's a fascinating curiosity to talk about if like us you're fascinated by the craft and the direction of the studio well and it will be one that we'll be obsessing over michael because by the sounds of it it's going to be a good couple of years before there's another nude studio ghibli film <laughs> we'll have to do a whole mini series on Ewig and the witch play by play well i think there's room for us to maybe do a couple more things with it more on that in just a second So, Jake, we've aired our first impressions of Earwig and the Witch, a very interesting new Ghibli film. But you did tease that we have some more treats coming up in the future. Do you want to tell us more about that? Yes. Um, so, funnily enough, in what was it, late 2019, we travelled all the way to Japan uh, to explore Studio Ghibli even more. But it took a global pandemic and being locked at home to actually talk to them. <laughs> Yeah, we were very honoured to be able to talk to Goro Miyazaki himself about this film. And in the process of that chat, the uh, the opportunity came up to also talk to potentially the, the secret protagonist 
of Ghibli attack. Oh, like himself. Our, our hero, the person that we have framed photographs of and look to every night before we go to bed. Mr. Toshio Suzuki. So we have two interviews, one with Goro and one with Toshio Suzuki, uh, which we will be saving until the UK release. So this review will go out for the US release. We can talk about the film. We can pick it over. And then we can go deeper into the film with insight from the people who made it, as well as insight into their lives, their creative brains, and the future of the studio as well. Yeah, um, what an amazing honour. When Toshio Suzuki joined the call with a plush of the cat bus behind him, what, what a moment for... Well, for the podcast, I suppose. The, the, the cat bus was quite quiet on the, the call, unfortunately. <laughs> but uh, maybe next time we can talk to that. <laughs> well, in, until then, you can keep up with us uh, across social media and through email as well. If you do get the chance to watch Earwig and the Witch, send us your thoughts. Tell us about it. We're on Twitter at Ghibliotech and our email is ghibli at little.studios.com. And you can keep up with Michael on Twitter as well. He's at Michael J. Leader. And you can follow Jake at Jake H. Cunningham. Ghibliotech is a Little Dot Studios production. Our music is made by Anthony Ng. Our artwork is by Sophie Mo, And Jamie Maisner is our audio wizard. The show is produced by Michael Leader, Jake Cunningham, Steph Watts and Harold McShiel. Hello listeners, thank you for sitting with us through the credits. As we've always done with the Ghibliotech episodes, we have a little nugget for those who've stuck with us through the credits. And fittingly enough, this is about the credits in Ewig and the Witch. The eagle-eyed viewers among you will see in those beautiful sketches, there's one slide where Ewig is sitting down to watch Howl's Moving Castle, the Ghibli film written by Ewig writer Diana Wynne-Jones. Michael, what does it mean? What? What? How does that affect the law of Earwig and the Witch? If Howl's Moving Castle, a film made by Ghibli, can exist within the Earwig and the Witch world, does that mean that for Ghibli, that Earwig and the Witch is a container world, which is why it's in CG, and the Ghibli films are canon within that world because they are 2D? Clearly, the future of Ghibli is to be like Pixar and have every film relate to one another so that weirdo fans like us can create our macro theories. <laughs> we joked about it at the start, but is the, is the GCU, the Ghibli Cinematic Universe, incoming? That's the Nick Fury moment. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods 
for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.